Hi there, I'm Lori Hellman. I am mom to Skylar, who is an incredible adult son with severe nonverbal autism. My goal when creating the Living the Sky Life podcast four years ago was that the content of each episode bring hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways to each listener. In sharing the many relatable caregiver stories and experiences, I hope that you never feel like you have to travel your parenting journey alone. If you haven't already, please connect with me through my Facebook page, Welcome to My Life, Skylar's World, or Instagram, Welcome to My Life, underscore Lori Hellman, and let's keep the conversation going after each episode airs. If you are enjoying the podcast and are listening on Apple iTunes, could I ask a favor that you please leave a rating and a written review and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for tuning in and subscribing to season four of Living the Sky Life. Hello, everyone. Glad to have you back listening to Living the Sky Life. My guest today, I got to admit, I was a little starstruck when um, she and I met uh, because she has so much experience and I just wanted to tap into all of it. Uh, My guest today is Karen Kelly. She is a graduate of Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville, SIUE, where she earned her BS and MS in nursing and a doctoral degree in education. She is a retired associate professor in the School of Nursing at SIUE. She taught leadership, health policy, and healthcare finance at both the graduate level and doctoral level. Karen is active in several nursing organizations at the local, state, and national level. She is the founding president of ANA Illinois and past president of the Illinois Nurses Association. She has held elected and appointed positions in these and other nursing organizations at the state and national level. She has published multiple book chapters and peer-reviewed articles in addition to other publications, including op-ed pieces on health policy issues. She has given presentations in over 70 local, regional, and national educational programs. She has provided expert testimony on the needs of developmentally disabled persons in Illinois to committees of the Illinois General Assembly, hearings by legislators and state agencies, and in federal court as a member of a class action lawsuit against the Illinois Department of Human Services. If all that wasn't enough, Karen is the mother and guardian of Eric Adam, the big dude, as she is known. Um, Eric is 49 years old. And Karen is also the author of the blog on Facebook, The Big Dude, Life with Autism After 40. She is a volunteer advocate for those with autism and other disabilities. She shares life with the big dude, with his amazing stepfather, better known as Dad, in their blog. We unpack, I feel like I say that all the time, but we unpack all the things. When I tell you, like I said, I was starstruck and I just want to climb into her life experience of 49 years with Eric um, and just ask her a million questions and we didn't have that much time. But one thing that I do appreciate about Karen is that Um, In starting her blog, The Big Dude, Life with Autism After 40, she shares all. So if you are not following her page already, I highly encourage you to do so. Uh, She has a wealth of knowledge is all I can say. From a medical standpoint, um, just with all of her experience in the professional realm, and also just parenting nonverbal autism for 49 years. So anyway, please enjoy my conversation with Karen Kelly. 
So welcome back to another episode of Living the Sky Life. My guest today is someone I was so anxious that um, she uh, honored my invite and wanted to come on because I have a, a million questions and I love her following her page. So my guest today is Karen Kelly. So welcome to the podcast, Karen. Thanks, Laura. Yeah. Um, a lot of people probably know you for your Facebook page, The Big Dude, Life with Autism After 40. So we're going to talk about all of those things because okay. I think I can say that you might have the oldest uh, <laughs> child that I've ever yeah. interviewed and ever had the chance to talk to. So yeah. your experience is going to be vastly different than the majority of us because at his diagnosis in the 70s, I, I can only imagine, and I hope that you'll share with us what oh, yeah. it was like. Um, yeah. So he was, he's 49 now, Eric, your son is 49 now. He was diagnosed with autism at age four in the seventies. Um, yes. So clearly that was before the prevalence and, and most people yeah. knew anything about the word autism, let alone what it entailed. So yeah. um, not to take you all the way back and to talk about all the things with his childhood and his diagnosis and all of that, but I do think it's important um, for you to share your diagnosis story and how that all kind of came to be for Eric. Well, Eric has regressive autism. Okay. Mm -hmm. And most physicians had no idea that that even existed in those days, because in the seventies, well, first of all, I was in graduate school at the time studying to be a clinical specialist in psychiatric nursing. So my, even my textbook said, you know, autism was the fault of the mother who worked mm -hmm. and all this other BS. Um, uh, but Eric had normal growth and development until about 30 months of age. And then slowly over a matter of weeks, he stopped talking. And then his behavior began to regress. He wasn't the social, outgoing, funny little boy that he used to be. He didn't laugh much. He didn't uh, look in the camera. Um, so we started with our family physician and then a psychiatrist friend of mine who in turn referred us to a neurologist. And all this took time and at the same time we're contacting the school district where his biological father was a special ed teacher and in those days they ran kids through a lot of neuro exams to rule out everything because there what there weren't even behavioral scales for autism in the late mm -hmm. mid to late 70s so he went through a, a five night hospitalization and wow. we we had uh, basically diagnosis of the day They'd come to me every day. We think it's this. We think it's that. And like one day they came in. We think it's Wilson's disease. Well, Wilson's disease is a, a copper metabolism error. And you get these brown rings around the iris. Uh, Eric's eyes in those days were blue. Now they're kind of blue green. Uh, but he had brown stripes in his eyes. My dad had brown stripes in his green eyes. And I have a few stripes in my green eyes. And so I explained to this group of very eager residents that they were wrong. <laughs> and um, I was the uppity nurse. Um, you know, what, who was I to question their wisdom? And the mother, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah. the mother. And uh, yeah, it went, it went too pleasant. Um, I, I, have, I do have an Irish temper. Uh, <laughs> so we, we left that hospital where years, some years later, I was a nurse administrator um, with the uh, comments from the physicians. First of all, He's a zero. He'll always be a zero. He's only going to get worse. He'll never get any better. Uh, they offered my then husband and I the option of giving up our parental rights, placing Eric in residential care. And their final words were something to the effect of, 
um, have other kids and forget about him. At age and four, they wanted age, you to it, place it was like him. two weeks before his fourth birthday. Yeah. Uh, so again, I lost my Irish temper. And mm-hmm. um, a couple of months later, I sent um, the chief neurologist who thought he was a genius, a copy of uh, a book on grief um, about and, and put a note in there about, you know, how you don't understand that parents are grieving the loss of a, the normal child they expected and dashing their hopes by saying the things that you did. And, and then years later, when I worked at that hospital, he wandered into my office uh, by mistake. And he said, I know you. And I said, yeah, you do. He goes, yeah, you and I know me. you. <laughs> I won't, I won't say the expletive. But, uh, yeah. He, he uh, had to be removed by security because he, uh, by that time I had my doctoral degree and, and uh, he said, I was a phony and a fake and I was lying. And he was, he was moving toward dementia. Mm-hmm. And he was known to wander the hospital and, and kind of wind up in different places. But I, I wish Eric, some of those folks could see Eric now because mm-hmm. um, he's not a zero. He I did. don't even know what that means. What does a zero mean? Like well, that, he's that, just not worth anything? He, like, yeah, that, that's the way I took it. But he's just not worthy of our care. And um, I, I guess the only good thing that came out of it was that we now had an official diagnosis of autism, mm-hmm. which enabled us to you know, it was our magic ticket to get help from the uh, special ed programs. And of course, this was just a few years after the federal law that mandated special education. Right. And, uh, you know, in those days, like the place where Eric lives now, that was filled with children because there was no place for them. There was there were no schools for them. You know, they took the kids with reading disorders and behavior disorders and highly functioning um, kids with intellectual disorders, but they weren't going to take some autistic kid who was going to fly all over the place on him. Well, now they had to. And um, his father was uh, threatened with loss of tenure uh, because we demanded that that he be an appropriate program. They put him in a non-categorical special ed preschool that didn't even have a speech therapist. And we eventually had to take them through a hearing and we, we got what we wanted. Mm-hmm. And about the same time, there was a regional autism program for uh, a three-county area in a public school, and he he wound up there for eleven years, and and it was it was a good it was a good place for him. Mm-hmm. Well, you said um, that back then they kind of ran the gamut of tests and did a yeah. bunch of different things. Did they think that? Because um, I know a neurologist, like you said, was was on board. Did they think at that time that autism was a neurological? Uh, condition or, you know, that it affected children in that way, or were they just pulling out every specialist to just kind of weigh in? We had, we had one psychiatrist, but most of them were neurologists um, because they wanted to rule out other causes that could Mm -hmm. result, could cause the the mute behavior, could cause the distractible behavior. Uh, I mean, they, they did a whole bunch of blood work. They did x-rays. They, they did you know, every conceivable test, I guess they could. And they mm-hmm. had to do it as an inpatient because in those days, insurance wouldn't pay for outpatient testing. Wow, yeah. Very, yeah. very different than today. I mean, today, if you're going to have open heart surgery, you might be going in the morning of surgery. Um, so in order to get this paid for by our insurance, we had to have them in the hospital. And so they How were traumatizing. That yeah. Poor little, uh, poor little four-year-old, you know? <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. And so somebody had to be at his bedside at all times. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, um, I, I don't know if you know that, about Eric 
about Houdini. His real name was Eric, first name. And uh, our Eric was a Houdini. Uh, he could, <laughs> you know, they put a net over his crib, which was kind of a typical thing to do. Well, that kid had every knot untied in about five minutes. You know, he would have been down the elevator and out on the street in no time if he hadn't had somebody at his bedside continuously. Yeah. So that meant uh, we either got a lounge chair if we were lucky or one of us slept on the floor, including my mom, who spent a couple of nights with him because I couldn't get enough time off from work. My boss wouldn't give me the time off. Oh, my um, God. That's a whole nother yeah. issue. Yeah. Uh, it was the 70s. Uh, mm-hmm. And she was herself a mother. Um so they wanted to rule out any other possible cause because they were really stuck in this uh, neo-Freudian uh, Connor uh, idea from the 1940s that uh, bad mothering uh, mm-hmm. caused autism, that it was just a different form of childhood schizophrenia. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. so um, you were able to get him into that school program. Then did he remain in um, in traditional schooling like throughout is it 21 or 22? And are you in Illinois or Marie, uh, Missouri? I can't remember. I'm in Illinois. I mean, it was till 22, but um, he was in uh, the this initial program for two years. And then from there, this new program started that was modeled on uh, a program in St. Louis called Judavine. And that was at the time, one of the premier uh, treatment and training centers. Um, at, from, it started as a project at WashU by a graduate student and then became a, a freestanding uh, program and it exists to this day. Um, so we got um, a teacher from there to come over and work with him five days a week, half a day uh, at his four day a week preschool and one afternoon at my mom's. And that was for a year. And then this program modeled after the Judavine program, which included a lot of signing and, okay. and um, behavior modification kinds of things opened up regionally. And so he was there for 11 years and um you know, he got his voice by signing, mm-hmm. even though he's, he's always been kind of lazy. It's, he takes a shorthand version of, of his signing, but uh, he got his ideas across and he, he did pretty well. But then as he approached adolescence and all those hormones started, um, he became more and more aggressive and he was mm-hmm. getting bigger. You know, he was, he was six foot tall, probably, I don't know, around 15. And by, jeez, uh, by the time he was... 20 he was 6'5 oh my gosh I can't forget he is <laughs> yeah that's yeah. Him. big dude is just one of our nicknames for him yeah and, and, yeah uh, because he is that and you know wears a size 14 shoe uh, he, he's built like my father was my dad was 6'3 mm-hmm. a big Irishman and um Eric takes after him yeah um so the way we call it now obviously early intervention and we you know yeah. have all of these things and aside from not giving much else at diagnosis, you know, you're told to kind of look into, depending on the age of the child, the earlier intervention programs, the zero to threes, the, the speech, the PT, the OT, whatever it is they need feeding all that stuff. Clearly none of that was available. So no. how did you dip? I mean, I know you said that there's this, that was the curriculum program that you used um, from Missouri, but yeah. How, what was that consistent of? Was it speech ther- therapy or just signing? Like, was their main focus communication and trying to get them the, to communicate the, in some way or another? The focus was communication. We spent okay. most of one summer at this uh, parent training program in St. Louis. And uh, Eric was in a classroom there and he would get speech therapy and sign. His first day of signing, they said, bring 
his favorite thing to drink. We'll start there. So we brought a bottle of 7-Up, big bottle, two liter. And by the end of the first 90 minutes, he knew how to sign drink and he knew how to sign soda. And that opened the door to him. Um, he, from then on, he was very attentive in his, his signing classes. And um, then, like I said, the, 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 the non-categorical preschool was babysitting, really. Yeah. Uh, but we did have the teacher who came there to work with him primarily on signing because that was that was a big issue, getting Eric to communicate with mm-hmm. us. And um, his bio dad and I went through training. We learned some basic sign. We in turn taught my mom the basic signs because she was Eric's after school caregiver uh, and school holiday caregiver and um, his babysitter and everything else. Because oh, other than my, my one cousin, uh, who was a teenager who, who could take care of Eric, uh, we couldn't rely on his, his other grandparents to, to help us out. So um, the program he was in for 11 years, used sign speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were very consistent. Uh, they, they set limits, um, you know, he, and he had great teachers. He had very caring teachers. One of the teachers even babysat for us for a while. She was the, uh, younger sister of a high school buddy of mine. And, um, we had parent group there, you know, we, we didn't have internet, so mm-hmm. we didn't have any way other than getting together with other parents. So we, we had a parent group and they would provide babysitting services, They'd get some volunteer teenagers and, and uh, you know, so the parents could talk without having to chase the kids and, yeah. and worry about the kids getting into, you know, throwing books off the shelf and things like that. So, I mean, that was, that was helpful. And there was a second parent group um, that was kind of regional that I, I got into. And um, I'm a psychiatric nurse. I believe in the power of self-help groups. So, you know, I, I sought out those kinds of, of groups to, to help me find my way and to learn from the parents who were there who had a little more experience than I did. Mm-hmm. I wish we had more of that now. I mean, obviously the internet and social media has been a huge opportunity yeah. for us to connect people all over the country, um, which is nice, but there's just something about the in-person and someone that's in your community in your county and all of that, that is going through a lot of the same things you are and to meet up in person. Yeah, that we've never really had that here where I am. So yeah, I always kind of floundered by myself in the beginning before Facebook, trying to figure out yeah. what to do for for yeah. Skyler. So there is like a, a group in Southern Illinois, a little bit south of me. That it's a parent group, and they they do have get-togethers, and I'm they invited me to join them because several of those members had uh, had joined our our blog, and so they do get together. They do have events. They do have some educational programs. Sometimes they're offered through the state university down in that area and they let Mm -hmm. everybody know but you know back to the the ancillary services um they didn't exist Mm -hmm. you know nobody knew what to do uh i live 10 minutes from a place that's um i can't remember the name of it but it's it's a therapy center for autistic kids they offer pt speech um you know uh occupational therapy uh a friend of mine her son went there for a while and uh, he's very, very high functioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's now in regular classes. He, he actually started out in the parochial school where my daughter went. And he made great progress just with the, 
uh, some consistency in his classroom, plus the additional therapies that he was in. And mm-hmm. he's in Boy Scouts now. And he's, matter of fact, today is his birthday. It's 11, he's 11 years old. And I just happened to see it on her uh, Facebook page today that it was uh-huh. his birthday. So there are a lot more services around here. Um, one of the things that I did, um, I, I, we took our son to uh, the university, Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville. There's Edwardsville and Carbondale. Carbondale is mm-hmm. the what used they to be went. the bigger campus. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not bigger any, anymore. Wow, okay. It's size bigger. It's got smaller enrollment than Edwardsville, which is where I went to school and his bio dad went to school. And then I, I taught there later. Um, we took him to the speech and hearing center. Um, they did some um, hearing tests when he was in the hospital, uh, but they were kind of inconclusive because they, Quite honestly, the audiologist was a, not a nice person, and Eric didn't like her, so she, he wasn't going to cooperate. But um, they did a lot of work even then with autistic kids, and uh, you know they they determined that Eric's hearing. He'd had a, a history of about two years of chronic otitis media, and so they thought maybe he had a hearing impairment. Well, he does have some tympanic scarring, but it it only has a small impact on his hearing, mm-hmm. um, and that's really the one of the first places where somebody said, yeah, you do have an autistic kid. You know, they were, they were helpful. They were supportive. Um, and over the years, I, I referred quite a few families to them as a starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, e- even now I tell parents when they're looking for help, if you've got a, especially a state university near you, call the special ed department, find out who their autism specialists are, go interview them, go talk to them. Uh, we had their, one of their special ed geniuses from, SIU Edwardsville, who worked with us when we went through a hearing to get services for Eric against the school district. And, uh, you know, having been a university faculty, one of your, your uh, responsibilities is to serve the community where you are. And so um, I know other families have had some luck using uh, faculty from state universities, particularly, but even from private universities to help them as, as an advocate, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an excellent idea. Um, to, we have U of L Hospital here, and mm-hmm. um, they have a big autism center. And I think mm-hmm. that's the thing. I actually just got an, um, a little flyer for our Norton Hospitals um, mm-hmm. in the mail. Um, their little magazine in the mail yesterday, and um, they've already built one huge autism center. And now they're building mm-hmm. two other large autism centers. And like you, maybe like you, I, I just kind of chuckled to myself. Like, I don't know. It's just <laughs> back when. Uh, definitely you, but back when Skylar was diagnosed, um, many years after Eric, I just was like, where's all this stuff. And all of a sudden now Mm -hmm. autism is such a mainstream media label conversation. Everybody's talking about, which is fantastic for all of the young ones and everybody that's, you know, trying to get more advocacy and more, you know, just resources and support. But it's so frustrating because when I read these articles and I see what they're offering, it still forgets the adults. So yeah, you know, we, we can't go backwards and get all these services. Now we're, we're far past that. Nobody is building anything for adults to live in or, you know, for jobs or for any, they're just kind of forgetting that once they turn 21 or 22 in most States, they're forgotten about. And so are their parents and so are their families. That is the biggest crisis still. And nobody's addressing it. And I can only imagine what you have experienced. And I want to get into your, um, your, your role as an advocate, um, with that too, but go ahead. And I, I don't want to interrupt you. What well, you're gonna say. like in my community now, now Eric did not go to the schools where I live now. 
-hmm. However, that that special ed department was paying for his residential care at a school in Springfield, Illinois, until uh, he aged out. Uh, he was six months from his 22nd birthday. Um, but a couple of years ago, a friend called and said that a friend of her her of hers had a daughter who was a um, senior Girl Scout, and she was doing an autism project. Could she come and interview me? Well, because of this girl's project, our high school now has um, a house across the street from the high school, and they have a sensory room, and they have uh, a kitchen, and you know they're working with some of the uh, autistic kids who are going to be able to launch into uh, residential care with uh, support you know, that are higher functioning. Mm -hmm. And for the kids who, who are more on Eric's end of the spectrum, uh, they have activities and, and they do have a sensory room and it takes them away from the hustle and bustle of the rather crowded high school across the way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it, I, I've seen so much change, but then on the other hand, I get, you know, notes on our, our blog and parents saying, you know, it took us two years to get him diagnosed. And then we had to fight the school district so, so much of what I experienced, you know, more than 40 years ago, some parents are still experiencing yeah. it, especially those who don't live in urban areas like, mm -hmm. like I do. You know, I'm, I'm 20 minutes due east of the Gateway Arch in St. Louis. So, you know, we've got lots of universities. Uh, uh, matter of fact, there's a, a big Air Force base near us and um, military families, uh, Air Force families with autistic kids frequently seek assignment there because we do have rich resources we have you know more than one school district around here that has really good programs and um they, they want to come here uh, just because military families have a terrible time you know every three years or so they're they're rotated out somewhere mm -hmm. else and sometimes Start they're nowhere. yeah they're out in the middle of nowhere with minimal resources for their kid. And that, yeah. that is particularly difficult. I've had an opportunity to talk to a, a few moms who you know, lived in my subdivision who were military parents with autistic kids. And, uh, we networked and you know, after a while they were gone. Yeah. And that's gotta be hard too, because I never even thought about that population because you know how hard we have to wait on waiting lists to get services. Yeah. And if, and when you leave, you lose your spot on the, the yeah. list or you lose the Medicaid waivers or the, whatever the, yeah. the, the yeah. state has to offer and you're back to the bottom yeah. of every list. Yeah. Yeah. That's challenging. I, oh man. Um, so, um, you know, I know that you have a lengthy career in nursing, hospital administration, uh, medical education, and, um, became kind of by default, probably a very vocal advocate for, um, the disabled population. And you had mentioned to me prior that, um, you were an investigator for the disabled and elderly population. What, what was that role? And, um, how did that kind of come to be? Well, in Illinois, we have something called the human rights authority. And it's part of a state agency. And uh, we look into complaints about violations of the rights of disabled populations. Uh, special ed and the elderly are, are you know, two groups of people, uh, but disabled persons who live in community group homes and the like. And I've been involved with that off and on since 1990. Uh, a friend of mine, an another um, nurse educator uh, was, on the panel, she heard about it. They had an opening, she invited me to apply and I did. And so I, I, since then I have served a number of six year terms and then take a year or two off and then go back and do the work. Cause 
it is very gratifying. Uh, one of the things that my nursing education, both at the baccalaureate and the master's level, uh, emphasized was that um, we are, as nurses, we are advocates for our patients and advocates for families, our communities, um, not just the individuals, but even populations. So I, I learned that especially in graduate school and was very active in professional organizations. Uh, started out doing lobbying for things like the Equal Rights Amendment in the 70s uh, and various legislation related to nursing and healthcare. So um, working with this group was right up my alley. Mm -hmm. And it, it's been a very, very rewarding experience over the years. I, we've worked with uh, people in mental health centers, um, uh, people who live in residential centers for the developmentally disabled and intellectually impaired, uh, nursing homes, um, group homes for the mentally ill, um, any uh, and special ed programs in, in mm -hmm. schools where, oh, you know, parents complain that they're not invited to the IEP meeting. That's that's a little <laughs> little bit problematic. Yeah, so uh, it, it's been a very rewarding uh, opportunity. Um, you know, one of the worst cases I can can think of was uh, we got a complaint about a nursing home and quality of care issues and the mother being ignored and uh, went into this investigation and uh, met briefly with the, the director of nursing. Um, she didn't know the difference between an RN and an LPN. They had no written policies. When we asked to see a policy on a couple of things, she gave us like three and four inch um, binders that had stuff stuck in them, pages stuck in them, but there was no organized policy manual. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yes, we found that this woman's care had been substandard and that the family member who had uh, guardianship of the mother with dementia had not been notified. But more importantly, we turned them over to the State Department of Public Health that regulates nursing homes because we saw some things there that were just horrible. Uh, investigated uh, cases with autistic people, uh, adults living in group homes where um, there were questions about the quality of care. Sometimes it's, it's, it's not a, an issue that, that we really could take any action for because it was just like a one-time little incident that somebody made a mistake. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it, it's been very, very rewarding work to see that you, know, you can make a difference not just in, in the lives of an individual, but sometimes you have an impact on the organization. Well, and that's what we would all hope for is that if that day comes where I'm no longer physically able to, to care for Skylar, nor is my husband, and we have to place him in a residential facility or group home, it, it, that is my biggest fear is that he'll be neglected in some way. And I won't be here to, to be able to regulate that and to come yeah. in guns a blazing to make sure that my... Yeah. kid is cared for for the rest of his life um so if we can well, get people watching out for that kind of thing er makes me feel yeah. better eric's lived in a um state uh state operated developmental center mm -hmm. uh, it was originally built in the early 60s for children and some of the people who are now in their later years were there as kids uh then i think they've taken a few people that were 17 or 18 maybe lately but everybody's an adult and um, many states no longer have those facilities they they got rid of them and 
those are the places where you see the stories about people living in community group homes, small group homes that uh, run away and then have problems with the police because they can't mm -hmm. answer the policeman's questions. Um, so we, uh, in February of 2012, I was doing the some work in the kitchen after supper and I heard the local news and they said uh, that then Governor Quinn uh, announced plans in his budget message to close two of the state of Illinois' developmental centers, one in Jacksonville, one in central Illinois where my son lives. And long story short, our parents group at Centralia organized because uh, we had a lot of people with uh, private guardians, not state guardians there. And um, we organized, uh, and in part, the message we got from the people out of the governor's office was they thought we were a bunch of downstate hicks who uh, didn't know what to do and wouldn't fight back. Well, as it turned out, you know, I'm a nurse with a doctoral degree. We had social workers. We had a physician. Uh, we had an attorney parent. We had teachers. We had parents who uh, were blue collar and white collar, uh, but they were all passionate about their, their loved ones. And we also had some people that were um, siblings that had guardianship of, of their older or younger brothers and sisters because their parents were too old or, or were deceased. So we organized, uh, we, we got ourselves a, a great legal team out of Chicago. We filed suit in federal court. Um, I have a background in healthcare finance. And so I also testified at a number of legislative hearings and community-based hearings and refuted the governor's uh, fiscal figures. Uh, they lied. Uh, you know, I didn't take a PhD to go in and pull stuff off of the state's websites and find that the figures they were floating were not consistent with the budget issue paperwork that we could mm -hmm. pull off for the Department of Human Services. Of course, eventually they hid some of that stuff. Um, but uh, we were able to pretty clearly refute the the governor's reasoning that you could uh, put people in SILAs, these community independent living arrangements, two, four, eight bed facilities and save money uh, because yes, they were cheaper. So we were able to, to show that they really weren't cheaper. Yes, the room and board per month were cheaper, but the state facilities have physicians mm -hmm. and um, psychologists and speech therapists and physical therapists on contract uh, so it wasn't like every time somebody had to go for a, a chronic health issue or, uh, uh, you know, an earache or something like that. You had to arrange separate payments because a lot of what my son's care is, where my son care is given is right there on campus. It's not charged to the state. It's part of their budget. Uh, we have a dentist. Um, we have 24-hour nursing care. The group homes here have a waiver in the Nurse Practice Act so technicians can give medications. Mm -hmm. and, and a nurse is supposed to be 30 minutes away on call at all times, but um, in some of these rural areas, you have to wonder if that really is, is the case. So we fought and um, the states indicated, their position was that the Olmstead Act uh, required people to live in the community. The Olmstead Act, which the majority opinion was written by Ruth Bader Ginsburg, said people have a choice. They can live in congregate care, private or state operated, or they can live in small group mm -hmm. arrangements, but it's up to the individual or their guardians 
uh, or they're conservator in some, mm-hmm. some states, to make that decision, not the state. And so the judge basically said, yes, you can close these facilities, but if you do, you're going to have to provide comparable mm-hmm. care. And that doesn't exist. Uh, there are some good places in Chicago. And there, there's maybe one or two good places downstate. But the problem with the private facilities is if behavior gets out of hand, they can discharge right. the person right yeah. then and there, which has already happened to Eric. He was in a community um, uh, IFC, intermediate uh, ICF, rather, intermediate care facility. And his behavior was getting to the point where he was eloping and they can't lock the doors and lock people in. Um, and, and so they discharged him. He had to have a medication change. He had to go to the hospital and they would not take him back. And that's how he wound up where he is now. But in the end, um, we defeated uh, the state's purpose. Um, th- there was there was some coercion, coercion of some parents, some of the elderly parents to move their kids out. Um, and when I say kids, we're talking 40, 50, 60 year old parent people. Um, one lady uh, was moved to a, a small group home miles and miles away. She wasn't there for a, a temporary visit. She was just shipped there. And she died there shortly thereafter and was cremated immediately. So there was no autopsy to see what happened. And she was not in bad health when she left. So mm. um, our experience of fighting the state got the Chicago Tribune interested in the quality of these small group homes. And they did a, a rather great investigative piece of reporting and I believe they run some awards for it they showed that like some of these small group homes in Chicago in one case a man had wandered away and was never reported as missing um, you know a, abuse occurred um, we had some assistance from a private detective and got police records about how some of the small group homes in this area you know had one 18 year old for four adults uh, on the evening or night shift. And when trouble came up, somebody was acting out an autistic meltdown, for example, uh, they would call the police. And um, sometimes that was not the best yeah. thing you could do because the police in those communities were not necessarily well-educated mm-hmm. about what to do with an autistic person. Um, back around the, the time this all occurred, there was a case in Calumet City, uh, Illinois, up in the Chicago burbs, where uh, a teenager, a, a family had a kid and they've, they'd educated the uh, police department about what to do. Well, this particular morning, the kid uh, was acting out and the young man, 17 years old, grabbed a, what was reported as a butter knife and was swinging it at the parents and, and he, they could not calm him down. So they called the police. Long story short, they shot him. They killed him. Oh my gosh, this is awful. And I know that, yeah, I know that case went to federal court. Uh, so, you know, for, for those of us who were downstate, uh, we were very, very concerned about what could happen in some of these small group homes in some of the smaller communities. Um, it, it was absolutely terrifying. So, yes, uh, our group still goes to the state capitol 10 years later. We try to get, well, pandemic kind of put a dent mm-hmm. in some of this, but uh, we're now back to going there a couple of times a year, educating uh, legislators. Uh, talking to policymakers and decision makers um, and showing them the need for the uh, kind of care that's provided, the congregate care that's provided in the state-operated 
uh, developmental centers. Yeah. The sad thing is, is they just don't, even in the state run facilities, they just don't pay very well for the kind of work that well, needs to be done, you know, yeah. and changing pull-ups well, and things like that. And in Illinois, <laughs> they pay better than other places. They're all unionized. Well, that's good. I didn't even know that yeah, was a possibility. The, the, the downside of that was um, the unions did not do a very good job of educating people and, and uh, encouraging mask wearing and vaccinations. And, um, you know, people in my son's center who came down with COVID, the residents, when they traced it back, it was never traced back to family. It was traced back to employees. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that's kind of a shame. Eric, Eric got COVID uh, a year ago. Let's see. No, it was in January of this year. That's right. Um, and it wasn't, no, it was a year ago, January. It was mild. Yeah. He didn't even run a temp. But uh, he, um, you know, he, we couldn't go see him. Yeah. And no, it was this year. That's right. It was 22. And so we couldn't see him for 10 days. Uh, and it didn't come from us because uh, we'd already started our vaccines mm-hmm. by the time he got sick. So, um, you know, it, 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 it they, they do have problems recruiting for the state centers. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they don't pay as poorly as they do in some states. Well, that's good to know. Um, so you had told me uh, again prior about a little bit about Eric's um, home where he lives. Um, and you guys are with him. He's an hour away, but you have him four nights out of the week now that you're retired. Is that right? Like he's four, about four nights a month. Oh, four nights a month. Okay. Well, yeah. When we were both working, uh, most of the time we would see him on weekends and it would be every two to three mm-hmm. weeks. We'd either go down to see him, take him out to lunch or dinner, uh, uh, go to Kohl's or Target or Walmart or whatever. And now that we're retired, and probably about every uh, about every third visit, we try to bring him home. But mostly it was on, on weekends or, or like Christmas holidays mm-hmm. and Thanksgiving, things like that. Now that we're retired, we probably bring him home about every three weeks, usually for three or four nights. Um, a couple of years ago, they had a, a problem on his cottage, and um, so they had to do some heavy-duty cleaning. And Eric is like Mr. Super Clean, and he wants to organize everything. It's part of his obsessive-compulsive behavior. And he was already home with us for a few days, and they said, do you think you could keep him for a few more days? Because we know he's going to be all over the place with these workers. Mm-hmm. So we did. We kept him for eight nights, and it, it exhausted us. Um, but uh, yeah, he was just home last week. He'll be home um, next Wednesday. His birthday is actually on the 13th. He'll turn 49 that day. And uh, so he'll be home with us for four or five nights. Um, we'll celebrate his birthday, do something special. You know, living in the St. Louis area, there's lots of good restaurants, mm-hmm. things we can do, take a ride in the country. Um, so we'll, we'll have him for a few days. And then he'll be home again for Thanksgiving. Um, possibly one more time in early December. I don't know if that'll work out. And then he'll be home for probably five nights at Christmas. Usually Christmas time, he's home a little bit longer. Yeah. We're usually tired when he leaves. <laughs> I bet. Uh, he, does, he does sleep pretty well, uh, but there are times he'll get up in the middle of the night, go to the bathroom, and then he decides, oh, let's have a party. I don't feel like going back to bed. <laughs> On the other hand, he'll wake up at five or six in the morning. We're not ready to get up. We have an armchair in our bedroom. He will sit there and watch us sleep. Not that we sleep soundly, uh, but he just sits there. I probably took some getting used to. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, you got this big Hulk sitting there, and uh, well, but he, you know, he 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 likes to stay up late watching television some nights too. I would imagine too. I mean, he loves seeing you guys and spending time with you as as well. But he has his routine and his his yeah. place where he lives and his stuff and all yeah. that. So he probably you know is anxious to get back. Um, what he has two sets of routines. Yeah. That's and he and he deals with that. That's that works well mm-hmm. for him. Well, what type of things um you know make eric happy these days i mean what what is what brings him joy Um, i mean your your uh, blogs and some of your stuff is so funny because he i just love how connected he is um to his dad i think he calls him his dad and um yeah and just you and he just he's he's almost like parenting you guys it seems like he monitors you yes (laughs) yes well to let everybody know eric's dad and he's called dad in our blog is actually Eric's stepdad mm-hmm. and they've known one another for 25 years. Uh, we'll be married 23 years this, this weekend. Um, and when my husband and I were dating, I finally said to him, you know, this seems like it's going somewhere, but uh, I've got this kid who you have to get along with him and he has to get along with you or, you know, we might as well just call it quits. So I invited him over for dinner one night, pizza, Eric's one of Eric's basic food groups. <laughs> and, uh, at the time, he only lived 20 minutes away from me. So I'd pick him up after work and bring him home occasionally just for dinner and then take him back. So uh, they hit it off. I mean, Eric did some testing. Uh, he kind of lunged at Mark and got in his face, which is a way of, of testing strangers. And uh, by the end of the evening, they were, they were doing well. And um, I guess about a year and a half or so after we got married, uh, my husband had a job at the time that took him out of town. And I went down to see Eric and take him out to lunch where he lives an hour away from us. And I, I said, you know, I went to see your sister. Um, here's the time she was living in Virginia. And uh, I, I saw Nanny, my mother. And I kind of gave an update. And I said, and, da- and Mark's not here because he's working. And I looked at him as I'm driving at a lot, sitting in the light. And I said, do you even know what I'm talking about? I said, who's Katie? And he signed baby because that was his sign mm-hmm. for his sister. And then I said, and who's Mark? And he looked at me like, are you stupid? And he signed my dad. Oh, how did now, you not cry? Time, I would have cried. I, oh, <laughs> I did. I did. Um, his biological father was still alive, uh, but really they had very little contact yeah. and we lived in the same subdivision. Um, and I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, I never told him, you know, yeah. that's your dad. Uh, but he had a good idea, I think, what dads were supposed to be. He saw good examples in um, my sister's husband and their kids mm-hmm. and my best friend's husband and, and their kids. And um, he just decided Mark was dad. And uh, that is an amazing relationship. But you know, back to what makes him happy. Um, he's a big man and he likes to eat. So pasta... Um, is one of his favorite foods. I mean, when you say, we're going to take you out to lunch, what do you want? He's signing pasta, pasta, Aww. pasta. Um, but he likes Chinese. He likes um, Mexican food. The other night we picked him up for dinner. He starts signing pasta. And I kept saying, we're not going to have pasta tonight. And we got within oh, about two blocks of where we were heading. He realized we were heading to the Mexican restaurant. So he starts signing rice. Rice is his sign for Mexican or Chinese food because they both come with rice. And... Um, but he, he likes to go to the ball game. He hadn't been to a, a Cardinal game in three years. So we finally got to take him to one uh-huh. this summer. And he had a grand time. Um, for three years now, we've been trying to take him down to Memphis 
to see a minor league game mm-hmm. and to enjoy barbecue and take a five-hour drive from the St. Louis area to Memphis. And that didn't happen because of some health issues. Um, so we're hoping next year we can do it. Uh, we, we take rides to Missouri wine country. Uh, we take him to malls. He was terrified of malls as a kid. He went to a period he didn't want to go to a mall. Now we've got an outlet mall about an hour away. He likes going there, walking mm-hmm. around. He knows where all the soda machines are. Um, as we leave and head toward the car in the parking lot, he knows there's always a soda machine. He'll tell us he wants a soda. Uh, but it, we, we do family mm-hmm. stuff. You know, we, we just go places that ordinary families go. He likes to watch baseball on television. Uh, so he's happy to watch TV. Um, I know you guys had your show, right? You watch yeah. Blue Bloods? Blue Bloods. Yep. Together. Yeah. When Eric was little, uh, when Eric was little, Hawaii Five, um, not Hawaii Five, but Magnum P.I. I, was I love Magnum okay? P.I. <laughs> and I think he remembers Tom Selleck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we used to watch that. And now he likes to watch Blue Bloods. And Friday night, uh, we used to be able to see Blue Bloods on a uh, cable channel uh, late into the night after the regular uh, CBS presentation. Well, that's not, doesn't happen anymore, but he still likes to stay up on Friday nights. And, and if we're watching a baseball game, he'll, he'll stay up late. And if he gets tired, he just tells us he wants to go to sleep. He just signs mm-hmm. that he's, he's sleeping. Um, but we just kind of do normal mm-hmm. family things. And a few years ago, we started taking him to church again. I guess it's more like 12 to 15 years ago. Uh, I spent 18 years in the crime room. Mm-hmm. And, and we talked um, about this. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, at one time um, I was in a parish, my parish I had been in as a kid and they didn't really have a cry room. They just walled off an area. It had no heat, no air conditioning, no speaker, and had a window that stayed open 24 seven, 365 days a year. He, uh, he didn't like being in there. It was either too cold or too quiet. Finally, we moved to a parish where they had a nice cry room and that's where we stayed. And he would get bored very quickly. (coughs) Excuse me again. So finally, we started taking him to Mass a few years ago. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to take a drink here. We started out the first time in the cry room, and he wanted to play with all the babies in there. And uh, he loves holding babies. We start taking him outside in the main part of the church, and he loved it. Mm-hmm. And he loves the music. It's like going to a rock concert. Um, he, he, sa- he has sat with me in the choir area, which is up near the altar. Um, when we go to communion, uh, he walks up with one of us and then we pass him off to the other parent. And for a while he thought everybody was getting cookies and he would, he would protest that he'd sign <laughs> cookie. He wants a cookie. Yeah. So we now take candy and we give him a, a sugar-free mint as we're changing hands mm-hmm. and he does fine. Uh, he likes yeah. going, he's gotten to know people in our parish. Mm-hmm. Now, most of the time we take Eric out. It, um, our, um, our priest, has asked me numerous times. I was the wedding coordinator for our church for like seven years. So I was always talking to our priests, just side note things. And he asked me, you know, would Skylar, do you guys want him to have communion? And I'm like, yeah, but he can't, he can't be back. Um, he can't have his first communion and he can't do his confirmation all of those things because he can't respond to the questions to you. And he's like, that's okay. I mean, I would talk to the Bishop and there's things we can do for that. And for now we just kind of have left it at, he crosses his yeah. hands. Josh walks him down all yeah. with his hands crossed and all of that. Yeah. Um, but, but it's kind of nice that you guys kind of found an alternative with the mints to make him yeah. feel like he's yeah. part of the mass. So that's cool. Well, we take him out. We usually wear autism message shirts. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like one that says, uh, 
autism isn't contagious, but a smile is. Um, I'm not misbehaving. I have autism. Be patient with me. I have autism. Mm -hmm. And uh, I used to buy them from an autism mom who had her own business and then she went out of business. And so it's easy to find stuff on Amazon and and other sites. So we got this big man who's basically a billboard for autism awareness and people we know from the parish, uh, like walking back from communion, they wave at Eric. uh, He's the mayor. They smile at him. (laughs) Yeah, You know, back when we still shook hands in mass for the sign of peace, he was like a Chicago politician. He'd reach out to grab somebody's hand and shake it. Now, he still shakes hands with our friends, knuckle bumps. Um, our pastor, I knew in high school, which was a long time ago, and he's just a wonderful man. He always speaks to Eric. Uh, we have a new associate pastor who is uh, a, a young man, late, late 20s, 30-ish, and Eric's already decided he likes him too. Uh, we used to have a visiting priest um, that would come when our, our pastor was gone. And I knew him as a hospital chaplain where I used to work. And he was about 4'11". And Eric thought he was just the cutest little thing. <laughs> and the first kid. time he met him, yeah, yeah. I, I thought, oh my God, he's going to pick him up. <laughs> but he didn't. He shook hands with him. And uh, Father Elmar was just charmed by Eric. Uh-huh. So he, he he's a little bit of a celebrity mm-hmm. around church. So a couple of weeks ago when we had Donut Sunday, we walked into the parish hall and two women were there that are friends of mine who were signing people up for some event. And we walked in and they both go, hi, Eric. And he was just like, oh yes, I'm a star. You know? <laughs> he was probably and, and he, and he went, <laughs> Yeah, he went over, shook hands with both of them and then went with his dad and me and we got our donuts and, and coffee and uh, sat down there and had some fun. And uh, he, people, kind of know him at the church yeah. and, and he kind of stands out I would imagine to too you know just yeah. with his size um you yeah. know you you had mentioned earlier about um his you know just kind of some of the times he had behaviors and things like he would elope or um was yeah. he ever aggressive or like did he pull hair or kind of hit that's yeah. what Skylar does I mean he'll slap us on the arm yeah a lot of it's I think frustration because he we are understanding what it is that he wants and I I know that you yeah. you said that Eric signs predominantly does he have a couple of words that you guys understand i think you said well, mom he, and dad or mom and dad yeah matter of fact not too long ago in church i i was i came in a separate car because i had to go somewhere and as i walked into the uh foyer of the church he looked at me he goes mama oh my my heart sank but he says mom and dad yes comes out s no is no 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 he tries to say please he'll sign please and he goes um He's been known to say stop uh, when he was like getting blood drawn. Uh, he's also been known to say damn it when he's frustrated. <laughs> That's okay. And I, cert- <laughs> I I encourage that. It's using your yeah, words. Yeah, I know. Um, I don't care about that. Uh, and he, he tries to say things sometimes, but he does hum. Mm-hmm. Uh, he hums to the liturgical music. He hums to the radio. The other day we were in the car. We had a rental uh, because our car's in the shop. And the radio didn't, didn't have anything we enjoyed. And so he's just humming along, just making his own music, you know, um, and he just, oh, he goes to his dad's barber. He loves this lady. Uh, she's a very small lady. She's from Thailand. She's a military wife. Her, her husband's retired now. But um, Eric hated getting his hair cut mm-hmm. as a kid. And I, we had a barber hairdresser who was the father of a disabled child. She, his daughter had cerebral palsy. So he was very patient. 
So if it took an hour to cut his yeah. hair, it took an hour to cut his hair. Yeah. Uh, but now he, he pops out of the car and he goes strutting in and sits himself down in the chair and he's ready for his haircut. And unfortunately she's going to retire soon. So we're going to have to find somebody else. Uh, yeah. But he, he just, he knows people at our local Panera, our bread, bread company mm-hmm. here in St. Louis. Uh, he's, you know, kind of a celebrity there. He likes going there. Well, have you noticed then, um, and maybe not specifics of like ages, but as he has aged, have you noticed his demeanor, his behavior, just kind of those things evolve as he's matured? Yeah. I get asked that so much about, you know, first thing people always want to know is puberty and they've heard horror stories. And yeah. I'm like, listen, it, it, it's very unique to the child. Skylar was, a, you wouldn't even have known he was going through puberty because he didn't really change much. He was still about the same. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I've been told by lots of parents that in, a, in their 20s, they kind of change and mature and evolve. And then it goes on, you know, every every decade, it seems like they they just aren't as moved to pull hair or to do whatever it was they were doing. Yeah. Um, so what was your experience with Eric's behavior? Well, Eric was um, a meltdown king. I mean, just the self-injurious behaviors mm-hmm. that went from, he go from stimming to self-injurious behaviors. Uh, throwing himself. Interestingly enough, he never ever hurt my mom mm-hmm. or his little sister. My ki- my kids are nine and a half years apart. Um, he was more likely to take it out on me if there was a meltdown because I was close. And even when the kids were little, know, I think there's like he he didn't yeah. he didn't bother her when they were little. No, okay, no. I mean, the worst he ever did to her was uh, trying to walk around holding her finger to help her walk as a little one, and he kind of dragged her. <laughs> she fell you know. yeah he didn't realize she was on her knees but um we did have the meltdowns mm-hmm. and he he was a biter and he still is a biter and hair pulling occasionally but the biting has always been a problem um puberty was hell on earth mm-hmm. uh the meltdowns got more and more aggressive he became a problem not just at home but on the school bus and in the classroom and he had about a 30 35 minute ride to, to the school um, so the school district was very happy to work with us to find residential care because as he got bigger, it just got yeah. worse. And the first few years, the first eight years that he was in residential care, we'd have intermittent meltdowns, uh, but he was in places where they would not put him in restraints. Well, by the time he got to his current residence, he was a huge man and, and not easily controlled. And so occasionally he would go into full leather restraints for 10 or 15 minutes until he calmed down because he could easily break somebody's arm. Mm-hmm. Um, I have arthritis in both of my thumbs from when he was little. And I try to restrain him by just wrapping my arms around him to keep him from hurting himself. Well, he learned very quickly. If you pull mom's thumb back, <laughs> she's going to let go. Um, so, but it's intermittent it, now, it, right? Like, I mean, something, does something have now. to set he, him off? Like, I mean, do you know no. what a trigger is or it, no. We know some triggers. Okay. We don't know all triggers. I mean, sometimes, yeah. and, and you know, he has been on medication since he was 14. Mm-hmm. He is on risperidone and he's also on an Afrinil to help control the um, obsessive compulsive behaviors. Yep. Uh, but yes, a- as he's matured, the, the serious aggressive meltdowns have gotten fewer and fewer and fewer. Uh, but sometimes he gets upset in the car because um, oh, good example. We leave the house to go somewhere. We forgot something. Turn around and go back. 
he's going to have probably have a meltdown. Because you're messing up uh, the plan. Yeah. Yeah. Even though we tell him we have to go back to get something. Uh, we had some really serious uh, instances over the last five years, I guess. Um, but they were kind of isolated. Now, he did have a major meltdown a couple of weeks ago at his residence. And um, we were going to pick him up and take him out for a meal. And I think he was just upset that they maybe told him a little too early and we didn't get there because once I got him in the car, he was fine. Um, he, he calmed down and, you know, okay, great. We're going out to dinner. I'm happy about that. Uh, so yeah, he, he can be very, very aggressive. The good news is it rarely happens. One of the things though, that breaks my heart when you were talking about Skylar, not being able to tell you what's going Mm. on is sometimes he starts sobbing and cries big tears. I mean, to the point where we pull the car off, if it's in the car, we're on the road and one of us will get in the back seat with him and hold him and comfort him. And it seems to be when he is extremely happy and he doesn't have the words to tell us that he's extremely happy. Now he has some happy sounds that he makes. He has this clucking thing he does with his Mm -hmm. tongue and it's kind of a, a happy noise, but it's also a language with his dad. Uh, they cluck at one another. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. kind of like uh, just a, a, like, you know, twins have secret mm-hmm. languages sometimes. Uh, but he, he has certain uh, sounds like leetle, leetle and deedle, deedle and some other things that, that are a barometer of his happiness. And it, it's kind of heartbreaking when you're hearing all these happy sounds and all of a sudden he's sobbing. And I, I know on our blog, when I asked about that, other families seem to have the same problem that their kids were so happy and they didn't have the words to share mm-hmm. it. And they get very, very upset and they start crying. And, and it, it really is heartbreaking. But uh, um, I mean, sometimes he's scary yeah. still. And the fact that he's so big, yeah. he's, he can be very scary. I'm sure. Um, but it, it, it's not as often as it used to be. And um, sometimes, you know what the trigger is, like pulling out of the driveway and then turn around and going back. Um, that's a trigger. Mm-hmm. Other times, it just seems to come out of the blue. And, you know, sometimes I, I will say things to him or his dad will ask him, do you have a headache? And he'll do this. Mm-hmm. Well, give him some Tylenol or ibuprofen and he's better in a little yeah. while. Um, he has really bad respiratory allergies like I do. And so, you know, if I hear that he's sniffing and he looks like his eyes are about ready to pop out of his head and they're watery, you know, I'll go ahead and give him a decongestant Mm -hmm. because he is, he's on Zyrtec every day because like me, he's allergic to a bunch of pollens, dust and mold. Mm -hmm. And when you're in a building like where he lives, uh, there's mold in the heating and cooling system. You, you know, anytime you're in a big building and you've got a mold allergy, you're going to know that it's, it's there. You can't keep it clean enough to prohibit to stop that sort of allergy mm-hmm. so sometimes I, I know it's allergy sometimes i know he's just got a belly ache or something and and um try to intervene but there are still times mm-hmm. when the meltdowns come out from everything well anyway one of the things that sometimes search short circuits him he has certain um youtube videos flash mobs and his dad will play those pull them up on youtube on the tv and He'll calm down and he gets up and he dances to him. Well, that's cool. One of them is, yeah, one of them is uh, in Antwerp, Belgium, in this train station. And it's the soundtrack from Greece. 
Uh, it's a medley of all their songs and it's a flash mob with dancers and uh he he gets up and he just rocks back and forth dancing with them or if he's sitting on the couch he he just sits and rocks back and forth on the on the chair uh but he does love music skyler does too that is that is yeah there's just there's just so much fun for him in music so, well, I was in a flash mob um, once. Maybe I'll send him the video of me and he can, laugh, yeah, <laughs> he can laugh at me. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask one other thing um before I, I move into your um Facebook page really quick. But um, you know, since all these things have come out with communication uh post his diagnosis, like proloquo and the iPads yeah. and the text, yeah. even any of those things, have you ever revisited, you know, throughout the years as these things have come out as a new um, you know, communication tool? Yeah. Have you tried any of those things with him? Um it, 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 we've tried pets. Yeah. And did he just kind of like, this it, is dumb. No, yeah, no, Skyler uh, thought it was dumb. Uh, <laughs> although he will get you pictures of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, like he'll, he'll find a magazine and show me uh, a picture of a cake right. or uh, we go out to, to eat and um, Mike will go to red Robin and he, he shows me the bird. He wants a burger, mm-hmm. you know, he, he's signing pasta in the car, but now he, he wants a yeah, burger. Once he sees it. Um, mm-hmm. No. And, and, and iPads are meant for, looking at pictures and uh, watching videos okay. as far as he's concerned. Yeah. yeah. So that, yeah. That I just wonder if, uh, if later in life, yeah. like if it, that stuff is introduced to someone who's already learned to communicate in his method with sign yeah. language and his, his words yeah. that you guys know, um, if that's yeah. just so foreign to him that he would have no yeah. part of it. So, yeah. yeah. And he uses a lot of gestures mm-hmm. too, too. And, and I mean, like here at home, if there's something, one of the things he does now is he, he goes to the refrigerator and gets himself a can of either caffeine-free Diet Coke or Diet Root Beer. Uh, that's one of the privileges of adulthood. You get to pick those sort of things. <laughs> and one day, not too long ago, his dad was in the study where I am now, sitting at his desk. And Eric got up. He has his own chair that uh, is in the study when he's home with us. And he got up, went in the refrigerator, got himself a soda. He always puts the can in a cozy so it doesn't drip. Mm-hmm. And sat down next to his dad and opened the can and, and Mark swears it was right by his ear. It was kind of like showing him, see, I went and got a soda. <laughs> you can't say anything. Deal. I'm a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, we, we, we try to give him that freedom to help around the house and do for himself. Well, I love, as I said in the very beginning, I love <laughs> your Facebook page, The Big Dude, Thank Life you. with Autism After 40. Um, it's a very catching title because of course I'm like after 40, I gotta, I gotta see, see what this is all yeah. about. Um, and you, uh, you and your husband both decided to, you know, start this page and your blogging is so wonderful. I, I mean, you're an excellent writer and, um, you share Thank the you. good, the challenging, all of that, which is what I try to do with mine. And I just want people to know that there are really good times, but it's not fair to just put the good stuff. So why yeah. did you and Mark decide to start that page. And when did you start your Facebook page? It hasn't been very long, has it? Uh, I think it's four years ago this okay. month. Um, I had kicked around the idea about writing a book and maybe I'll still do you that. You should. And, and <laughs> I am an author. Uh, I, I, I mean, a p- professional publications. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, peer reviewed articles. I have book chapters I've written. I've written guest editorials in local newspapers on health issues. Um, and I've taught writing. You know, I've done workshops for nurses who want, want to publish so uh, I've always thought about it, and, and maybe one of these days I'm going to get it. I thought when I was retired, I'd have time. <laughs> I'm busier than ever. Uh, but I belonged to several groups, and, and they were largely families with very young children or teenagers. 
and only an occasional adult. And I thought, wow, there's a need out there mm-hmm. for this. And um, uh, uh, Autism with a Side of Fries is one of the first blogs I started yeah, reading. Yeah, Eileen. Uh-huh. The first fake. Oh, she's yeah, great. Yeah, she's fine. And then there, there's a mom in this area who has a, a blog. She lives like 15 minutes from me. Um, and it's it's walk down, a walk down autism lane. And if you haven't seen that, I would highly I recommend it. She has a teenager. She and I are talking soon, I think. Okay, yeah. good, good. Uh, yeah, she, she's she's got a, obviously she's a very talented uh, graphic artist as well. And she, she puts up great illustrations. Um, I'm better with photography, so that's what we use. Uh, but uh, I kept seeing, you know, there's nobody with talking about adults. And so, you know, I started out and I had a few hundred people in the first year and then a couple of thousand in the last six months, yeah, you grew quick gone to almost, we almost grew to 6,000, yeah. like 57, 5,800 members. So uh, it, it takes a while, but sharing it I, and I've never paid to promote it. Yeah. I guess maybe if I did uh, right now, it's so big. I, I don't have time to read every comment yeah. and I would love to. Uh, I, I try to glance through it and read as many as I can and comment on a few, but you know, I, I've gotten to know a few people. I mean, there's some folks there that are, have been with us since the start. Um, and what we wanted to do was give families hope mm-hmm. uh, that you'll find your way. Uh, you may not think it now, um, but you will find your way. It's not going to be easy and it's not always going to be happily ever after uh, we stumble and fall um, but you know, you'll, you'll, you'll find your, your, your life. And I think, you know, one thing I always emphasize, our goal is to give Eric his best possible yep. life. And, um, you know, if that, and, and first of all, I had the benefit, unlike some autism moms of being able to have a career. My first husband was a diabetic. I didn't think he'd live past 40. So by the time I was 33, I had a doctoral degree. It damn near killed me to, to work that hard with an autistic child. And my daughter was born at the end of my program, like the day I was supposed to finish my dissertation, she came early. So everything kind of got squished, but I had a career. I, I didn't just have a job and I made a decent income mm-hmm. over the years. So I knew if I had to take care of myself, I could do it. Um, and retired we're, we're not rich, but we're, we're comfortable. Mm-hmm. So if it means dropping some extra money to take Eric to Bush stadium and getting really super good seats that are going to be fun for all of us, we're going to do mm-hmm. it. Uh, you know, my, my vision when I held that nine pound or eight pound, eight pounds, 15 ounce baby in my arms was, you know, Oh, he's going to go to college because he's got parents who are college educated. He's going to have a wonderful career, a beautiful wife with a couple of kids, and she's going to have a wonderful career. Well, it didn't work out that way. You know, it worked out okay for his sister. His sister is, um, she has a good career. She has a master's degree. Um, she, her brother can't talk. She can't keep her mouth shut <laughs> uh, from childhood. You know, That's how mine she are. his voice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She became his voice. He would sign to her. And when we'd say no ice cream, he'd sign to her and get her to ask for it. And of course, using a spokesperson gets you brownie points. Uh, but, you know, we, we wanted to give him his best possible mm-hmm. life. So uh, if that means... Um, you know, get in the car and drive a hundred miles to Missouri wine country. Cause it's a beautiful ride. And there's a place we like to go that has great bratwurst. We're going to go, mm-hmm. you know, um, he likes, he, he likes to go shopping. Um, you know, since you're a Midwesterner, obviously, you know, Coles, uh, 
that's one of the stores he loves to go to. And I don't know why, but what we found is we look at price tags. He looks at price tags. He can't read it, but I I do believe he does have some, some words he can cite. Mm -hmm. He knows logos. He knows the difference between Wendy and McDonald's. Um, he, he can walk up to a restroom. He'll go to the men's room if he's with his dad or a couple of times when he was with one of my uncles, uh, because he either knows the word men or he knows the little stick figure, mm-hmm. you know, um, his IQ measures somewhere between 20 and 40, depending on who's given the test and if he likes the tester. Um, but I know he's got some in, in, innate intelligence in there um, that hey, he's a conniver. I'll, I'll tell you one quick story about how he thinks logistically. We took him to one of the big malls in St. Louis uh, a few years ago. And across the street from the mall was a P.F. Chang's. So that was our treat. We're going to P.F. Chang's. We're going to have a great Chinese meal. And then we're going to go across the street to the mall because we needed to look for something. Well, there's a Panera Bread in the mall. So as soon as we got over there, he led us to Panera because he wanted one of his cookies. And he signed in cookies the whole mm-hmm. way. So we had cookie. And then we went upstairs in the mall. And as we're going around, he, he's keeps telling us he wants either a cookie or he wants a pretzel. Well, there's an Auntie Anne's or something like that down on the lower level. So after we finished upstairs, we're coming down the escalator and it's, it's right around Christmas time. I think it was cold and there's lots of Christmas music and dad was a few steps behind us and it's noisy. And Eric's with me and he's signing. He wants pretzel because he knows that the pretzel place is down at the bottom of the escalator. He knows his way around malls and buildings. (laughs) Yeah. And food. And, uh, so we get down there and he asks, as we're getting off pretzel, I said, no, no pretzel. So we're walking along and I said something to my husband, I need to go to the restroom down you there. Got there we go. Why don't you wait here with him? Well, Eric turned to dad and he asked for the pretzel. And of course he didn't have a way of telling his dad or, and wouldn't have told dad, mom already told me no. Uh, so how about you get me a pretzel? So I come back and they're sitting there eating those little pretzel bits uh-huh. with the uh, sugar and cinnamon on them. I said, what is this? I said, I told him no. Well, he didn't hear us. And so I know he had to think. Mark said that I was about 15, 20 feet away when Eric turned to him and started telling him, I want pretzel, please. And <laughs> yeah, he, he knows his, first of all, he knows dad's yeah. easier than I am, mm-hmm. that he's going to say yes more often than yeah. I will. So he waited until I walked away and I couldn't. Of course he did. Hear what's going on. And then he got his pretzels he, and he's done stuff like that before where he's, he's, you know, kind of manipulated one of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's some logical thinking going on in there that, that you can't measure, yeah. uh, but every once in a while it comes shining through. Their know? survival skills is pretty, re- oh, yeah. it's pretty remarkable. I mean, <clears throat> Skyler gets what yeah. he needs and if we yeah. don't figure it out, whether it's doing something, you know, destructive or whatever to get our attention, yeah. he gets our attention and then yeah. he ends up getting what it is that he needs. I just wish that he could. Yeah find a different <laughs> mechanism yeah. to, um, getting what he needs. But, um, well, yeah. as we wrap up, I mean, I, I just love your family's story and, um, Thank you. I think um, we could talk for hours and hours and hours because you have yeah, so I much experience so. and both you and I, you know, like you were saying earlier, I have a career. I, I it's very important to me to keep my career. And I I've tried to manage parenting and advocating and doing all of the things, extra things, but also keep my career. And I, you know, like you, I'm remarried and had not a great, great way about it the first time. 
Um, but Skylar yeah. is totally benefited and he likes my husband much more than he likes me. And he gets everything he wants from my husband. They're best of friends. Mm -hmm. Um, but in your, I mean, you've got four decades to work with here, but I mean, is there, is there one thing that you would just say to parents with kids on the spectrum of, all, of any age that you really think is important that people keep in mind, um, whether, you know, it's futuristic current day for them, whatever yeah. it is. Um, well, a couple of nuggets of wisdom. Uh, first of all, when people try to drag you down, you know, when you get the, the Debbie Downers telling you, well, he's never going to do this, mm -hmm. you know, don't give up hope because you never know mm -hmm. our kids learn and develop differently. And someday they may surprise you. I mean, it, you know, you, you I, I just read something the other day from some, some mom's blog about, uh, you know, how her, her kid who can't talk can spell words. It's an amazing it might thing. might be me. You know? <laughs> That's all Skylar. Yeah, he, he, well, Skylar does yeah, spelling. Well, it, was mm -hmm. an, it was, yeah, it was another one mm -hmm. that I saw too. Yeah. It's like, oh, wow, this is so It's so cool. Uh, advocate. You, you know your kid better than anybody yes. else. You know, when somebody tells you no, um, don't take no for an answer. Mm -hmm. just, just keep pushing. If you think it's, it's right for your kid, um, there are times when you're just going to have to let go of people, mm -hmm. family and friends. Um, don't let toxic relationships harm your child. You know, if you can hide those toxic relationships from your kid, that's fine. Some of them I couldn't, couldn't hide. And, um, you know, I just, there was no reason to continue. Mm -hmm. it. My, my dad died when Eric was, was three and, uh, he was very close to his grandpa. And I had an uncle, my dad's youngest brother, who stepped up to become right. his grandpa surrogate. You know, other family members that uh, really just wanted to avoid him. Mm -hmm. But no, you know, that my aunt and uncle and my two cousins were were there. And, um, you know, they, they kind of filled the void. So, you know. Just surround yourself in, in, with people who love all of with, you. With positive mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with positive people who are going to accept your child. Uh, and again, you know. <laughs> Seek help. Uh, if you're having difficulties with the school, uh, contact the local university, the closest college. Talk to somebody in special ed. Uh, here in Illinois, they've started an advocacy program through the same state agency that, that oversees the Human Rights Authority. And I, I took some coursework to brush up, and uh, I'm listed as a, uh, a IEP advocate. I can go to somebody's IEP. Anybody, or you can always bring an advocate. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if you need an advocate at the IEP, take somebody. Uh, it, it could be a you know a friend or a family member who's just there to, to cover your back. Uh, it could be a friend who's a special ed teacher. Uh, it, it could be it could be your sister in law who's a lawyer. Uh, that tends to make, drive fear into recalcitrant special ed programs. Mm -hmm. uh, don't feel like you're alone in this. Ask for help uh, if you've got a group that you belong to uh, of other parents. Ask them for advice. Speak up. Speak out. Uh, you don't have to be in isolation. Um, Eric's a challenge. Yeah. He, he's a huge challenge, but he's so full of joy most of the time. Mm -hmm. um, he's just incredibly happy until something goes wrong. Uh, but, you know, taking him to church, we've seen him dance across the parking mm -hmm. lot. I mean, to see mm -hmm. this big guy do, uh, you know, twists and turns and spins and just kind of dancing along, having the best time. Um, I would imagine find what makes your kid. Yeah. I was just gonna say, I would imagine he has taught you 
more than you probably ever could have imagined teaching him. One of the things I learned is that I was a whole lot stronger than I thought mm-hmm. I was. And, and one of the things I also learned was I could take a lot of those skills that I learned as a nurse and I used for my, my patients, their families, my community, and apply it to my son mm-hmm. and other, other people. I, my, my, uh, my lobbying experience paid off when we were fighting the closure of Eric's residence. Right. You know, I, I wasn't afraid to go nose to nose with a legislator or one of the governors, as I called him, minions. Um, I was asked in court why I called the governor's right hands minions. Like, and I I'm said, Irish. Oh, you know. <laughs> no, I just well, I, I just I had just watched Despicable Me with my That's granddaughter. That's hilarious. <laughs> and yeah, even the judge kind of chuckled. I, I guess the attorney thought that he was going to embarrass me, but it didn't embarrass me at all. Uh, um, oh my gosh! Yeah, you know. Yeah, you're going to make a few enemies along the way. But, you know, if you, it, when I was in management, I always said, if I didn't tick off one person yeah. a day, I probably wasn't doing my right, my job correctly. Uh, so, yeah, you're going to step on some toes along the way. And sometimes you're going to apologize for stepping right. on those toes. And other times you're going to um, be happy that, that you stepped on those toes. Yeah. Well, to your point, um, I, I feel like I feel the same. I think every experience we have in our life brings us to a certain point. And I have the skill set that I have, whatever it is, it's different than yours, but yeah. it's exactly what Skylar needs. I'm exactly yes. the person that God wanted to be parenting him for whatever his yeah. reasons are. I may never know in this lifetime yeah. what God's plan was yeah. for me and Skylar, but um, I, there is no coincidence that we were mother and son. We, we are supposed to be yeah. together and he needs yeah. me and I need him. So I, that's just yeah. kind of how I put the, at the forefront of my mind with every decision I make and everything that I do, I just think, yeah, you know, how- well, if somebody told, told me at 18 that, you know, I would have a severely handicapped kid and I would survive it. I, I, I would have laughed at him, you know? Um, but yeah. yeah, I have learned, I have learned how to be stronger than I thought. Uh, I have learned how to, uh, get along with people that I don't trust simply because I need them to do something. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, one of my bosses um, one time said, you know, I really like the way you handle that situation with Dr. So-and-so. I know you don't like him, but you were so nice to him. And then all of a sudden he gave in to what we wanted. I said, well, you know, Mark Twain said, hold your friends close and your enemies right. closer. Uh, that's, that sometimes paid off. Now I will admit one time I had to threaten to have this special ed director and I old school district where it first started arrested because he kept coming over to my house and harassing yeah. me. And uh, my uncle happened to be a policeman, the same uncle uh, in that town. And uh, he had kind of a reputation as being kind of a tough guy. And uh, after that time, my uncle pulled in the driveway and chased him off. He never came back again. So, you know, use your resources, yeah. whatever those resources right. are. Use your connections and your negotiating skills yeah, and all the things. That's, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, connections pay off. I so appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. And um, again, I appreciate you guys deciding to start the blog because when I started this podcast four years ago, that was my intent. I think I told you, I just, I, yeah. I was desperate to find people who were 10, 15, 20 years ahead of me mm-hmm. in this journey. And yeah. um I'm just so grateful to have found you guys because you're a huge resource for the rest of us. Um, now that we have Thank the internet. You, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll be talking. Absolutely. Again absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of living the sky life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the living the sky life podcast 
within Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Play, so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Skylife with others. Thanks again for listening.